Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. Today I'm delighted to be joined once again by Max Rayner. Great to have you on the show, Max. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Will. It's a pleasure talking to you. Um, yeah, and a pleasure to be invited back. I've either made a good impression or you're clutching at straws. So, we'll... <laughs> well, well, Max is famous in a number of ways, one of which he won the Young Property Investor of the Year Award uh, last year. Um, he's telling me uh, that he's not uh, classed as a young property investor anymore. So we thought we'd get him back on and get the full story about his background and profile. Uh, now, now, Max, do, before we get, get into um, the, the background, do you want to give the 30-second rundown on what you're up to now? Um, and and then we, we, we can dive into the details a bit more. Max can be contacted uh, via LinkedIn. So Max Rayner uh, at LinkedIn is, is or searches uh, his profile. Uh, you'll be able to see it in the show notes as well. Um, so, so Max, what are you up to right now uh, as a snapshot? Thanks, Will. Yeah, so I am the CEO of a company called Stuart Clinton Property. Um, I'll talk to you, obviously, a little bit more about that as this episode goes on. Um, and I own it 50% with my business partner, Alex Baker. Um, we are heavily involved in the supported living and care space um, we do large development projects for supported living anything up to about a 30 apartment scheme that we're working on at the moment to small care homes with just six hmo style bedrooms and we're simply just investing in people through property our goal right now is to house 200 vulnerable people in the next couple of years and uh, we're well on the way to doing that. So we've got loads of exciting projects on the go. Like I said, large supported living schemes, small care homes. Um, we don't discriminate. Um, we, we work a lot with mental health, homelessness, learning disabilities, addiction recovery, uh, childcare. Um, so, yeah, across the array of the, of the whole sector. Well, well that, that's fantastic. So the, a valuable contribution to mm. uh, the, the communities that you're operating in. And, and where, where is the, uh, the prime locations that you're, you're uh, involved in at this stage? For us at the moment, uh, I would say it's across the Midlands Belt, uh, Coventry, Birmingham and the surrounding areas. Uh, and we also are more recently operating in Buckinghamshire as well, North Buckinghamshire. So uh, Aylesbury, Milton Keynes, um, and all around those areas as well. Right. Well, well that's brilliant. So we're going to uh, go way back to the beginning, right back to childhood. Where, where did it all begin? Where, where were you born, um, and and what what was happening um, 
as a young fella. Oh, well, you, you're testing my memory here. So let's see what comes out. But um, yeah, I'm, I was born in Hemel Hempstead um, into a normal family. We don't come from money. I went to a normal school, um, got tested for ADHD three times when I was a kid. I don't have it, um, although I would say that I probably am on the spectrum sometimes. Um, but then again, I think if you look into everyone deep enough, they're all on the spectrum in some way, shape or form. So, um, yeah, quite a hyperactive kid, always in trouble. Um, never with the police, more so just cheeky stuff, disrupting the class, typical class clown, always wanting attention off people, trying to make people laugh, never listening at school. Um I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with my teachers because I mucked around and didn't listen, but somehow managed to get straight A's in my GCSEs, um, which some of them were very proud of me for. Others were frustrated because they wanted me to fail because I caused them absolute havoc when they were trying to teach me. Um, but yeah, like a, a, a normal upbringing, upbringing really, just a, a naughty kid that was smart, um, academically smart. I was always social I was great with with kids had had loads of friends was was in all the sports teams um and then yeah I guess like the first big you know like I say normal childhood my parents split up when I was seven I lived with my mum and my sister by myself um so that was uh, obviously a challenge as a guy being around two girls the whole time um but I guess my my life really changed and and things I, well, I had a massive dose of perspective when my dad passed away when I was 16. Um, I grew up with um, an alcoholic dad, which was challenging. I'm sorry to hear but both of those things. And thanks for... No, it's okay. It's, um, it's part of life. You know, you, you, I've had time to reflect on it now. It was 12 years ago that he passed and uh, it's made me the man that I am today. So in some ways it's I've made the best I feel I've made the best out of a bad situation um, because it's motivated me to to start my company and, and do all the things that I'm doing now um, but what what actually happened uh, was what me and my I was 16 I think my sister was 14 or 15 at the time and he, because he lived by himself and he didn't have a will and he wasn't he was divorced from my mum everything that he owned came to us including his one bedroom house and uh, my granddad at the time said you should do that up and rent it out so we said okay him and his mum him and my mum looked after our money because we weren't allowed to have that till we were 18 uh, as we were still children and uh, we rented it out and ever since that gave me a little bit of pocket money every month so that was kind of like my first seed into property if you like and the first sort of time I was like, cause at that point at school, you get told to get good grades, you get told to go to university or, you know, go and get a job in a corporate company. Um, and I was like, why would I want to do that? I was like, I've had a property paying me rent for a few years and I've done nothing, you know? <laughs> so it was that sort of that first, um, Oh, and by the way, I've always been someone that if someone tells me to do something, I do the opposite. Um, I've always, I've always had that within me and, and actually, only when I was young that was a bad thing but I now I'm maturing and I've seen some of the things that I've done in business I, I actually see it as a good thing to be honest mm -hmm. um, I've never followed the crowd um so so yeah uh, granddad made me do that and thank god he did because you know as a young guy 
um i if i had access to that sort of money and i didn't invest it in property when i say that sort of money we're not talking millions i don't come from a rich family it was just your your standard one bedroom house and a bit of savings that's all we got um but yeah if i if 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 we didn't do that and we sold the house and we had a bit of money then i probably would have gone and done what i know a lot of people that have lost their parents have done which is bought a flash car spent it all up on spunked it all up the wall and partying and and nice clothes and had nothing and wasted the rest and and exactly um so what that allowed me to do was go right you know i'm comfortable i didn't although it was a one bedroom buy to let so it's not you know gonna make you rich but as a 18 year old which is obviously the age when i was allowed to start getting that income it was like, right, there's no pressure. There was no pressure on me to go and get a part-time job. You know, there was no pressure on me to, to go and do something I didn't want to do. So a lot of my friends would go and work at a Tesco's checkout or a McDonald's or, you know, just that's what you did to, as a part-time job at that age, just to get mm-hmm. some money. And I didn't need to, um, but I wanted to work. I always had quite a strong work ethic. Um, and I, like I said, I was born in Hemel Hempstead. I, I still live there now. Um, and the, the indoor snow center had just opened, um, in Hemel, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will know where that is. But if people don't, it's basically there's about six or seven in the country now. Um, is what it says on the tin. It's an indoor uh, facility with man-made snow where you can ski. And I was like, Do you know what? I can ski. I've been on a few family skiing holidays. Yeah, I'll give that a go. I, I wouldn't mind skiing around on a Saturday and getting paid for it. Um, so, so I managed to get a job there and, and did that for a bit, and then. I actually found a big passion for, for skiing. So um, I started to do uh, my qualifications because I looked at the instructors and I was like, oh, okay. Cause I was a slope patrol guy to begin with. And I was like, I want to be those guys. Cause they were, like, I saw them as quite cool. They got paid more money. So uh, I took my qualifications and then I realized I can travel with this. And I always, cause I didn't go to uni. I always wanted to travel. And at that time, everyone that I knew was traveling, that was, was, they were just becoming a club promoter in Ibiza or Magaluf or, you know, doing stuff like that. And I wanted to travel with value. And I knew that I, I always knew that I wanted to have my own business. I always knew that I, I, I couldn't work for someone and I had to do something for myself. So well, where I, do you think that came from? Just, just, uh, that came from my granddad um my granddad's quite a big inspiration um to me he is a true cockney um born and bred in east london into a poor family bit of a chip off the old block good chat um and he broke the mold he moved out to hemel hempstead from london and started his own company and he was in the print industry um started fixing typewriters in the back of his garden then selling a few and then he you know in the in the late days he had a warehouse with 30 guys working for him he was printing apple manuals he was printing for Watford football club um he had he had some pretty big contracts i don't know too much detail around the business but all i remember is the stories that he used to tell me um about starting his own company and you know where he'd come from and and how he was able to start affording nice things and 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 I just watched that as a kid and and he was my absolute idol like that I, I was like wow that like I always wanted to own my own business um uh so that so that was where that inspiration came from and he's still alive now and he's still uh he's like my dad now because he's my dad's dad um he's uh he's always given me bits of wisdom and and taught me a lot about life um 
even if he is a bit out of touch about the business side of things, like when he finds out how much I'm paying for property now, he it's ridiculous in his head because he could still buy something for 80 grand, <laughs> you know, in his own head in, in and around London. I know he can still buy that up north now. But um, yeah, that's where I think the, the, the inspiration of wanting to own my, my own business came from. Um, so I don't know where I was now. What were we, what was I talking about before that bit? So uh, you'd got to, uh, you'd got to the point where you decided you, you wanted to go in your own business. The traveling and the skiing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and my granddad had been one of those people. He'd, he'd made his own contacts. No one, nothing had ever been handed to him. He'd gone out, he'd networked and, and he did it all himself. So I knew it was possible just, just through his personality. So that was why skiing really appealed to me because I'd get the, the, the traveling experience, that independent leaving home, going to live abroad and working and earning money. But skiing was a very, is a very wealthy industry. Um, and I went to teach in a resort called Verbier, which is like my second home now. I still go out there. Um, but Verbier is also one of the most expensive resorts uh, in Europe to go to and, and actually probably the world. Um, there are a few comparables all around the world, but it is one of the most expensive resorts you can go to. So the clients that I was mixing with out there, you know, you, you, you're not just teaching, you know, John who's taking his two kids skiing for the weekend, you're teaching, you know, we had the, the, we had Saudi Arabian royalty came, come over. We had, you know, CEOs of, of blue chip companies. We had, we were teaching celebrities and it really, really gave me a culture shock and a fascination from people from all walks of life um, and I started to 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 entertain these people and, and have conversations with them and and just enjoy hearing how other people have had it and 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 how they got to where they got to um, and uh, realize that, that they're all normal people and everyone's the same um, and I'd never I'd never been around that before and it was nice and one of my tricks actually I, I haven't actually spoken about this on the podcast I was speaking about it today um, we used to get tipped quite a lot of money people in the, that live those sorts of lives that by the way you know people are coming out to Verbia and renting a chalet for 400 grand a week you know so when you're teaching people that that, that holiday like that they tip well and uh a lot of the other instructors, you, you, it'd be common to get tipped a thousand Swiss francs, um, you, or five hundred Swiss francs, that sort of that sort of uh, amount. And uh, I remember all the other instructors used to come up to me and, and wave their, "Look how much I got tipped today!" and go out and 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 get drunk. And uh, I used to feel really bad. I don't know why. I've, I always felt bad taking tips, um, but I knew that these people. The more time I spent around them, the I was like a leech for information. I always wanted to know how they got to where they got to, if there's any way they can help me, if there's any way I could stay in touch, build my network. So what I used to do is, is thank them for the tip and then ask them what they were doing at the end of the lesson. They said, oh, I don't know yet. And I used to go, oh, well, there's a, there's a great bar here. I'd really recommend it. Um, and I'd walk them uh, to the bar and then out of my tip, I'd buy the first round. And I didn't have to, but then that, invited me in um and 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 then i spent the rest of the evening with them um and that was how i made my traveling count and have i had any direct contacts from that period of time in my life that have helped my business no but has it um normalized people in high power positions celebrities 
those sorts of types of people that that you deal with as you go through business and the deals get bigger and stuff yeah it's normalized it all and I'm, I'm not afraid to speak to anyone on a level as a person and I think that that to me was more beneficial than going to university right and the the practice run effectively for uh, having conversations at uh, any level, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I go back there, and I and I have made some some fantastic friends out there. Um, but also, when that sort of finished, I always knew that I was going to come back and and start my own company. Um, so the first thing I did was I went and got a. I think Wolf of Wall Street had just come out around that period of time, and I thought, right, I'm going to go for the big bucks now. I want to start earning some some big money. <laughs> so I got a three piece suit, a briefcase, and and uh, and looked the part, and went and got a sales job in London. Um, and oh, I must have been about 23 at that point. And the, one of those you can earn uncapped potential commission type jobs with a crap salary, and. Uh, I came in raring to go and I did make some good sales. Um, but I quickly realized that that wasn't for me because the guys in the office that I wanted to be like, um, all they used to do was come in and moan about their situation, moan about the job, moan about their wife, moan about their house. And I'm thinking, you're earning X amount per year in commission. The dream of what? I wanted to earn when I joined this job. Yeah, I'm on 25 grand a year, clocking off at 5 p.m. and, and I'm way happier than you. Um, so that was where I started to think, right, I can't go. This isn't long term for me. You always said that you wanted to start this business, Max. So let's go and start it. Um, but at this point, still didn't quite know. I knew that I started to, I, I looked at my property portfolio, um, which we'd built up. So we had the one that I inherited from my dad and then, and with the spare cash that we had left over, we bought another one. So me and my sister bought another one on the same road with my granddad as well. Cause we didn't have enough cash to make up the difference. Um, at that point from sort of 18 to about 23, those properties had doubled in value. And it, so, so we doubled our equity and we'd had rent every single month with, with no void. So I was like, there is something in this property stuff. Like this is where, this is where the money's at. Um, and uh, so I was like, right, I'm, I want to start a property business. I've got no idea um, how I'm going to do it, um, but that's what I want to do. Did you have any concept about leverage or? Nope, uh, not at this point. No. Right. So anyway, we, this sort of paints a picture of how the company's been formed. My best friend from primary school, Alex, my business partner, his dad passed away, dropped down dead randomly at about 52. And we still don't know why, uh, just a sudden death. Um, and Alex had, his dad had life insurance. He, he worked as a director at a big law firm. So Alex and his sister got a, 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 a nice payout. But again, we're not talking, you know, millions. Um, and he said, look, I've seen how you've been able to live your life. I saw you go skiing, you know, you're earning a, an okay salary, but you're doing really nice things because your rent's obviously topping you up and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, it is. I was like, and I said, I'd be open to, to, to a property business if you are. And he said, yeah. And I said, right, there's only one problem. I've not got a fucking clue what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I know you don't either. All my granddad's done is said, buy this, buy that, refurb this, refurb that. And he's not even a property expert. 
um, and it's worked out all right. But if we're going to go in this big time, it's like anything, you need to educate yourself. You need to know what you're doing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't one day, and, and this is where a lot of people get property wrong, by the way, you wouldn't one day just wake up and go, right, I'm going to be a plumber today. Go down to B&Q, buy yourself some tools, knock on someone's door and go, right, I'll have a go at fixing your bath. But mm-hmm. so many people do that in property. They just wake up and go, right, I'm going to be a developer today. And they go and try and do it. And that's why it goes wrong. So we went to, um, we, we found a property education company. Um, there are loads of them out there. The, they do have a bad stigma. Uh, there's a lot of bad ones, but I will also say that there are a lot of good ones. Um, and it just taught us the basics of investment, leverage, um, how to borrow money, how to refinance money, what a good deal looks like. Um, how location's important, the different uses of property, the different types of property, development and investment you can make. Um, and it really just, just motivated us. And we were like, yeah, do you know what? We can do this. Um, and that was when we started Stuart Clinton Property. Um, so my dad was Stuart and Alex's dad was Clinton. And it was just because if it wasn't for them, um, we wouldn't have had the startup capital to do it. All of my money was tied up in property. I'd had none in the bank, which was good. Um, it was good to have it invested out. Um, and we had, it was like 10 grand for this course. Um, so Alex said, look, do you know what? I'll front you 10 grand um, and I'll put the money up for the first two projects. And then you can pay me back later when you leverage your properties. I said, great. Sounds like a good deal. Um, so Alex quit his job and, and, we, and threw himself at the property. I couldn't because my my expenses were higher. I'd already moved out by that point. I think he was still living at home. We were only 23. Um, so I changed my job and I won't say the company, but I, I got a fit because they're a blue chip company. I got a, I managed to blag a field sales role at a big blue chip firm um, where I didn't have to go into the office. So, of course, they didn't know what I was doing half the time. And I just uh, I just started building my company and, and doing as little work for them as possible for a couple of years. Um, I did actually do really well for them. So I think that was why I was, was getting away with it because um, I, I was making sales. And actually, funnily enough, it taught me a lot about sales because I was the, uh, whilst this was going on, I was the, the top performing salesperson in the country out of about 320 people uh, and in the top 10% globally. Um, and I was probably doing a quarter of the hours to what everyone else was doing. Um, and it, and it made me realize that cause I didn't care that I was selling anything. I didn't care if I made the sale cause I knew I didn't, I didn't care about the commission. I, I was just worried about building my business that I actually sold more because I was just more honest with people. <laughs> and, uh, and actually that skill I've taken forward to, to now my negotiations, uh, when I'm, when I'm negotiating deals in whether it's raising finance or, or, or trying to negotiate on a, on a property or negotiate working with a partner or lease terms or anything like that. Um, it's just taught me to be humble, honest, and, you know, not, when not you're sound desperate. Not, when you're not under pressure yourself, yeah. uh, it tends to take the pressure off the, the person you're, you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, a, there's actually a book about that, which I read a few years later, and it all made sense. It's, I can't remember the author, but it's, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's got quite good reviews. And it basically goes on to say about how um, the most successful people don't actually care. Whereas I, I guess 
it's but but they they have to care to an extent but it's more i guess it just comes down more to managing emotion right and if you if you um if you're stressed if you're desperate then then business is hard right um but anyway i I digress so so i I, we started to build the company i was working for them building it on the side and alex alex threw himself in um and we started doing hmos in the midlands the reason we went to the midlands was because we didn't have enough money to afford property anywhere else but we also didn't want to go so far up north that we would be driving three or four hours to the to the project so the midlands was the perfect stop for us Um, and we started doing hmos um because like everyone fresh off an education course that's what that's what you do because all we knew was buy to lets then and we we're like oh what we could buy that and then turn it into rooms and rent it out for that do, um, do you want to just uh give listeners who are perhaps not familiar with the basic hmo modeler um like the the, the one minute version of how yeah works. so so basically a hmo is where you take a residential well it doesn't have to be residential but you take a property and as opposed to renting the whole property out to a family or a couple or, or a person you rent the room rooms out on an individual basis and then the people that live in there share the communal facilities such as the kitchen and and living space and the garden Um, and it is a very good way if done properly to increase your returns Um, it is also an absolute ball ache and big stressor if you don't have the right systems in place to manage these properties Um, and they are actually becoming more regulated now there's there's you, you can only do certain sizes of hmo without planning permission you'll then need planning permission for some larger ones um there's also selective licensing um and and an article something called an article four direction which i won't go into um but it's just it just makes hmos a lot harder um, but it regulates them they are a very good way um of sort of someone living in between renting their own house or apartment um and and not living at home Um, and they are a needed part of society if done correctly but they do also get a bad reputation um anyway we didn't we don't we don't really like them (laughs) we figured that out um especially when the pandemic hit and uh we, we we were on a bit of a roll we were getting quite good at them and we started doing a few um we were recycling. And, and what was the the basic um model what what were you buying for us it was like and... three bed terrace four bed terrace and converting them into five six bedroom hmos by um you know reducing some of the living space converting it into a room converting a lounge into a room garage doing extension loft conversion that sort of stuff um, and it was all under the threshold of the seven bedrooms or, or shall I say seven persons that you need for, for planning permission. So it was all under permitted development, quite an easy, lower risk um, investment for, for beginner property investors. And I think that's why they're quite popular because they're not, there's not huge risk attached to them. Um, well, it, there can be, but in in the main, if you're just, putting a few extra rooms in a house it's quite a nice way to to learn about property and development and uplifting value and uplifting rent and refinancing your money and stuff like that so it taught us a lot um but that's if your tenants pay and they treat the property right and uh when the pandemic hit it hit our income pretty hard and uh and also i i won't um lie we don't we didn't care about the, the tenant we didn't care about the end result we were just doing it to make money to 
to to become financially free and have p- enough passive income to to pay for our for our lives and that was why we were doing it and and i and and actually that's why we didn't enjoy it because we didn't enjoy dealing with the problems that come with tenants not paying and people trashing the property and all that sort of stuff because we weren't in it for the right reasons i know some great property developers that do hmos um and they put the tenants first and they 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 create these amazing co-living properties and and they love it because their their heart is with the tenant and ours wasn't and that's where we had the big change in our business and 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 how we've had so much success in the last couple of years because we were we were looking over the pandemic there's got to be another way to to make money out of these hmos because they're driving us crazy and our salaries are different every month because there's costs here costs there people aren't paying um and that was where we found care homes um c2 residential care homes which really are you know larger hmos style properties with rooms on suites and shared um shared communal places the only difference is as opposed to renting it to individual tenants we rent it out to an operator so that pricked our ears up we were like oh okay so what they're so, 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 so an organization takes over yeah. the yeah so it's like a commercial lease basically and we're like how amazing is that so we can rent it to a third party organization that will manage the property they'll put all the tenants in there and we'll get paid the same rent every single month regardless of anyone's in there and that was where we were like we need to do this now as we started looking into it more and more and we looked into the the crisis of mental health and 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 the amount of vulnerable people on on um, the the list to, to, to have housing and, and the right care for them it started to all make sense um, because we no longer care started to care about the money we were caring about the end product and we had a passion for the people that were going in there because we resonated with them because we've had our own issues from losing our dads and and everything like that and I remember our first two care homes we ever did and it we were at a bit of a sticky situation in the project and I was looking at the numbers and it and there was a point where it could have tipped either way and I I looked at Alex and I said do you know what I said if if we don't make any money on these um I don't care he was like what do you mean I said because the best part of 17 vulnerable people across these two projects are going to get a home that need it more than we do and they're going to get the care that they need um and that was when i realized that we were in this for the right reasons and it wasn't and it wasn't about the money and and actually we won awards on those projects because we were over budget but we did everything we could to make it amazing for the tenants we did make some money in the end but that's not the point um and then off the back of that we've had a lot of success a lot of people wanting to work with us um and we've learned a lot of lessons about ourselves. And when we look at our business now, of course, you, you can't have your, you can't be in fairyland. You can't just not have a business plan and just throw money at property just for the sake of it. But um, a lot of people like to talk about how much money they want to make or how much money they need to make. Um, and to us, we completely just don't. I don't care how much I earn a month after a certain point, once your basic, um, your needs are, are met by passive income, because how much money do you need? And, and actually, if you 
if you do a good job and you're passionate about something, the money will come. The money will be a byproduct of doing a good job. Um, and now we don't want to do any other style of property. We're just focusing on how many people we can help. And you know what? It's working. The business is working. We're passionate about it. We're happy all the time. When you're happy all the time, people want to work with you. You ooze um, an aura around people when you're enthusiastically talking about your projects. Um, and and it's since since that we've probably tripled the size of our portfolio and and the amount of money that we've raised to do new projects um, to continue doing this this sort of good work has has been unbelievable. We've actually got we we're having a conversation this morning more money than projects that we have at the moment. Um, so so yeah, I guess that's the kind of the life story and 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 where we're at now. I'm sure um, I've missed a few bits, um, but. Basically, we, we're, we're having a great time and we're doing some amazing projects and, and we're really making a dent on, on, you know, quality, sustainable accommodation for, for vulnerable people. And it's no longer HMOs for us. It's care homes, uh, supported living and, and helping as many vulnerable people as we can and having a good time along the way, you know. Well, that's fantastic. So Max Rayner, uh, the- that was your property world. Uh, I'm Will Mallow. This is my property world podcast. Uh, that's brilliant. Thank, Cheers, thanks. Will. Thanks for having me. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment so please do on social media and if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests so get in touch via the My Property World profile.